Hey everybody, Chris Chipman, aka The Chippa here, just to let you know, right before this episode starts, I want to tell you about a very awesome thing my friends over at Cinemaspection, Tim and Corinne Luz, are doing on October 24th. They have an all-night 12-hour horror marathon to take the place of the one that would normally be going on at the Coolidge Corner Theater here in Boston. So listen to them talk about that really quick. I hope you all can join in. Um, so thank you so much, and please show them your support. This is going to be a blast. Hey, before we get into the show, we have a big announcement to make. Now, normally in October, we spend at least one great Saturday night up all night at one of the local movie theaters watching a 12-hour horror movie marathon. That's not happening this year. So we're going to try and do it on our own. October 24th at midnight through October 25th at noon, we're going to be watching 12 hours worth of horror movies, and we invite you to join us. Uh, we will be tweeting along to these films under the hashtag CSHorrorthon. Uh, we invite you, please, come join us and say snarky things or let us know how much you love or and hate the films that we're watching. To make it easier, we've picked movies that are all currently available on Shutter for October. We're going to be starting off with The Color Out of Space at 12. At 2 o'clock, we'll move on to the original Phantasm from 1979. At 3.45, we'll be watching the Hammer classic The Vampire Lovers. At 5.30, a more modern horror tale, Darling, directed by Mickey Keaton. Just around the time that something kind of weird is going to make you feel loopy. So that's the best slot for it, I think. Now, for 7 o'clock, we had hoped to get to Larry Cohen's The Stuff, but unfortunately found out it's no longer on Shutter. so we're shifting over to Lamberto Bava's Bizarre and Wonderful Demons. At 8.45, we'll go way back to the 30s with The Old Dark House from James Whale, a really classic horror comedy. If you've never seen it, it is worth every second. So if you have to make a decision and you want to take a nap between movies, you can skip something you've already seen, but definitely come see The Old Dark House. And because it's always good to wrap up with something really fun, at 10.20, we're going to be watching Dead Heat with Treat Williams and Joe Piscopo. Tons of fun. I love this movie. I've seen it one time. <laughs> one time. And I can't tell you how much I love this movie. It is ridiculous. It is a mess, and I love it. I will have been awake at that point for probably about 36 hours, and me typing about this ridiculous movie will be fun, so please join us. Yeah, we'll be punchy and, and weird. It's going to be great. In between the movies, we'll try to have a few extra little surprises, and uh, maybe we'll even do a contest. We're still working on that. But please join us. So October 24th at midnight to October 25th noon. Details on our Cinemaspection Twitter account. So stay up late with us and watch some horror movies. Okay, now on with the episode. They shoot the shit. They shoot, they shoot the shit. Shoot, 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 shit, shit, shit. Shooting the shit with Chippa. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Shooting the Shit with Chippa. Before I get into my very special guest for the evening, day, whenever you're listening, I'd like to thank my $15 or more a month patrons. Um, you guys are what keep me going. I do this for free. I try not to put paywalls up on too much of my stuff. There's a couple of shows I spend a lot of money to make that I do that with, but these podcasts are yours, and so anyone that is willing to help out, um, I love it, appreciate it, and right now when I'm recording this, going through a pretty rough time, and so uh, it means even more. Works as both a secondary income for my family and a way of just saying, hey, you're actually pretty good at this, man. Keep it going. So with that, you guys, $15 or more patrons are Mason, Christopher Finnick, Patricia Chipman, 
Hugh K. Campbell Jr., Alex Peregrine, Kevin C.V., Mike the Gatherer, Tyler Freshcorn, Mark Price, Collaborating Online, Alex Shaw, Seth Comfort, Seth Decker, Andrew Krause, Little Nicky, Robert V. Aldrich, and Aaron Moriarty. Thank you all so, so much. And to my newest patrons, Jessica Gronsbell, Jordi Collado, David Fleming, Mario Augusto Puga Valara, and Aaron Moriarty. Thank you guys so much. This show is a lot of my recent shows have been brought to you by Skeeter Plays. It is the Let's Play YouTube account of one of my very best friends, Steve Brennan. He plays games with friends. I'm going to be on there soon. Talks over him. He's got a great sense of humor. He's a really nice guy. You should kick over to Skeeter Plays. That's S-K-E-E-T-E-R Plays on YouTube. And check it on out. And with that, this is continuing, even though I had a bit of a bump in the road there, continuing my coverage of Salem Horror Fest 2020. That was a fully virtual festival. Um, so people from all around the world were able to watch films and shorts and panels and podcasts. And um, I just am loving it. And I love that my pass to it, um, like a lot of your all access passes, are going to allow us to watch the majority of the extra material for the rest of the year. Um, with that, one of the films that premiered there was a film called Displaced. You've heard my review. You've heard my conversation with Philip. Um, the film star, and now I have the film's writer, director, and co-star. Am I missing any other things you did on this, buddy? Uh, yeah, I I did a million things, but don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, I was gonna say, you the, the person who's the um, parent of this um, <laughs> awesome film, um, Josh Atkinson, and Josh, uh, introduce yourself to my listeners and uh, you know the world, as it were. Hello, world. Uh, I am Josh Atkinson, and I directed Displaced, which uh, had its world premiere at Salem Horror Fest 2020, which was absolutely wonderful. And uh, uh, yeah, I guess we'll we'll be talking a lot about me. <laughs> yes, and and I was going to say now now that the film is premiered, um, obviously people can go to my review. I uh, you know I I have a hard time. I, I review right of stream of consciousness. I have a hard time talking about movies without talking about the whole movie. Um, I try to give people a quick, hey, here's what the thing's about. Here's how I felt about it without blowing any of the big surprises or twists in the story, but then go deep. So um, out of respect for you, would you rather be this a kind of a more spoiler-free kind of a thing, just talking about the film as a whole, or are you okay talking about um, you know, more of the deeper aspects of it? I, I guess like... Let's play it by ear, but I kind of, I similarly, I, I, I don't know that I'm going to be able to talk about it without spoiling it too cool. much. I, I, again, I just, I didn't want it to come through the other end and have you be like, you know, I kind of wanted, because, because the way I look at film, especially indie film in, um, in these festivals is it's not about like holding it and keeping it and gatekeeping it away from people. Yes. Obviously. Obviously, movies with a cool, like, oh, and you won't believe what happens in the third act kind of needs to be experienced. But I look at that as the, um, as the, it's the responsibility of the person listening. You know, I'm telling you, hey, I'm about to talk about something you might miss. Um, if you want to see it without being spoiled, this is where you shut it off. Um, yeah. I look at it kind of way, the way the music industry is gone, right? Like, most bands get a, hey, you can jump over to our YouTube channel and listen to the whole damn album for free. And most people go, you know what? This is great. I'm paying you. You're amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's not like that. You can't hear it unless you give me money. But at the same time, you know, it's your product. It's your livelihood. And I don't want to 
you know, cause reason for people to go, oh, well, that sounded like something I wouldn't like. Glad I didn't watch it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't think that's going to be the case here, but, you know. No, I mean, the, the, I movies are more than just a plot. So if people hear the subject matter and they dig it, then I'm sure they should certainly seek it out. <laughs> awesome. And I'm sure there's going to be plenty of ways for them to do that even you or I don't even know about yet. Because uh, like I told Philip and like I'll say to start here, I, I think this thing's, you know, this is a special thing. I think it's got legs. I think the the quality for it being a, a an indie low budget film, um, you know, yeah. a lo- all of these movies at this damn fest for, for that matter. But this one in particular, you guys were just you're working at like a very high high level for uh, you know talking to Philip and Evan be like, yeah, this is the first big thing I did out of film school. I'm like, you're kidding me. Like <laughs> your acting yeah. school. I'm like, uh, you know, and so um. A question to start, you know, before we get into it, um, is, you know, what got you to this place? Like, what, what's your, you know, um, path to, to making film and making this movie? Okay, well, um, like Phil mentioned, uh, a lot of, a lot of the cast went to uh, the William Esper Studio, an actor uh, conservatory in New York, and so I went there. Um, we didn't all go at the same time, but I, uh, I just, you know, I tried the normal route of auditioning and, you know, peddling your wares in front of agents and managers and trying to, I don't know, manifest whatever, <laughs> whatever capitalist fantasy of an actor they have. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, uh. You know, I had a manager at one point, and, you know, she's a life coach in Jersey now. I wish her well. I, you know, I, I would book little things. I did better in improv auditions. But generally, it was just like, it was just like, this can't be the only control that I can exert over my career. This can't be all there is. So, honestly, like, uh, for the better part of a decade, I've been trying to because i'm not very tech savvy um i've just been trying to like always gather my actor friends together and just like make stuff i tried to i tried to build a whole movie out of improvisations like mike lee style i uh i made 24 sketch comedy shorts oh shit Um, yeah but well that i mean just shows you the the vacuum that is the internet you can make a lot of stuff and nobody knows about it um, and I finally just, I looked at, you know, I co-wrote a play in the Fringe Festival, like, I, I was just always making projects and seeing them not really, uh, change my station in life. Um, so I was like, all right, you know, shit or get off the pot, you know, like, what do you really want? If you have to be creating work for yourself as an actor, then what do you really want to do? Do you want to make funny little shorts or do you want to make serious minded features so i uh kind of for years now I've, I've dug into like i guess fancy filmmakers like uh the darden brothers and mike lee and john cassavetes and all those people all the dogma 95 people just because they really their scripts are nothing but story and performance those yep. things those are the things that i have access to so so yeah, I just kind of was like, time to make a movie. So that's how. That's how. <laughs> no, that's awesome. And your, uh, you know, your background. Where, where are you from originally? 
I grew up in uh, Davie, Florida, which is in uh, Broward County, a little bit above um, above Dade, Miami. Yep. So, <laughs> yes. To the... So, um, so what what got you to because the this um the uh, school was in New York, right? Mm-hmm. So what 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 led you up there? Student loans. Yep. I always, uh... Ding ding ding. <laughs> yeah, I always like I. I said this as a joke one day, and then I was like, wait a minute, this could be a movie, so I shouldn't be saying this on the podcast, but but I made some joke about, like, when I was 17, a witch named Sally Mae promised me all my dreams and uh, away my credit score, and here we are. <laughs> oh, shit, that's, that's awesome. Uh, well, make sure you send me the links to those sketches and stuff if they're up on the internet, because I'll, I'll put them in with the interview, but um, so, so that's, that's interesting. So is there... What what drove this is the script because you you wrote the script right so what drove yes. this is like the story you wanted to tell like how did how did displaced come about? Well, um, right before displaced, I had finally buckled down and accepted that I needed to read books about like how to write screenplays. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wrote a really bad script that I thought was really good, and then my friends read it and let me know that I was mistaken. And literally the next week, there was a crowdfunding contest through Seed and Spark uh, called Communal Nightmares. And they wanted, they, they phrased it as uh, social justice themed f- horror features. Okay. Horror features. And so I was like, hey, okay, cool. This is a sign, you know, we're going to, you learned what you did wrong. Let's, let's write something good this time. And, um, and so I just had a list of, you know, and anybody with Facebook knows what's going on in the world as far as uh, American injustices. So I just oh, kinda, yeah. Right. Just kind of made a list of things. And, uh, and it occurred to me that I could only name one horror film about gentrification, uh, Wes Craven's People Under the Stairs. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. Damn. I haven't seen that in... That forever so i don't even remember much about it but um uh and it also that so i was like okay people aren't jumping on this and i really just like i was living in bedsty brooklyn at the time and i just kind of like looked around and realized that you know there were you know like obviously there was my white hipster presence there was uh, black people who'd been there for generations in my section of Bed-Stuy and then a few blocks over, it was more of a Latinx, like multi-generational family situation. But then the bodega was owned by a South Asian family and the other bodega was owned by a Middle Eastern. And then there was an East Asian restaurant and it was like, all the diversity in the world is right here in Brooklyn. Yep. So why don't I take this, <laughs> like, you know, it just, it just, gentrification allowed for so much more diversity than you usually see in movies that market themselves as being diverse. Well, absolutely. You know, um, that's what really struck me is, and and I said this to Philip and I'll say it to you. There's the thing you have going here is that when, when somebody jumps on and tries to do the, okay, this horror movie is about something um, that can either be, holy shit, you know, yes, the, you know, the, the horrors of the real world versus the horrors you can make up in your head, you know, or and vice versa are all congealed into one and they they promote and help each other 
you know, and they, they complement each other really well. And you get some movies that it all falls apart and you kind of go, well, they were kind of trying to say something and then they lost it. And what I love about this is that your movie, you could take the horror element out of this, you know, um, yeah. or, or, and I don't mean that it doesn't work. I mean, you, you can take it out and the storyline, the, the arc for these characters very much is still a very, you know, social justice gentrification driven. I mean, the, the scene with the police for that matter, you know, that the Philip mm-hmm. and I talked about is just, it, it's so perfectly of this time. And yet also you don't sit there and go, Oh yeah, here's this scene. We had to have this in here. You sit there and go, you know, this is worse. This is more readily a tangible fear than at this point what our main character is still not sure if he actually should be afraid of or not because of the way you tell the story and you reveal, um, our main character's storyline throughout, you get the, you know, it's that really brilliant way of, well, you were in a cult, you have pretty awful memories of it, but you also have no idea what your memories were and if they're real. And so all of that culminates to no right now, readily available. If someone had called, and there wasn't some white guy in the room to calm the situation down, this guy could have been brutalized or killed. And it blows my mind, like that scene in general. Well, good, good. Um, yeah, it, it, um, I knew that it was potentially... Uh, I thought about... Because you have to think about the context, which is that a white filmmaker is making a movie... Right. ...well-intentioned or otherwise is making a movie with a black lead and, you know, I mean, there's black primary characters, white, Latinx, Asian American, um, our cast had gay people, trans people, straight people. Obviously it had a age range from the little eight year old to a woman in her sixties. Like, um, like the diversity was paramount, but I had to make sure that I didn't put my white foot in my mouth, you know? <laughs> yeah. And that's a really hard thing to do. When, when I found out, you know, just by, you know, t- like watch, I watched the movie first, I'm pretty sure. And I think you had reached out on like a tweet that I put out of how much I liked it. And I'm like, this says he's the director. And in my mind, I kind of went, wow. Like it just, it usually you get the, okay. And like you said, you put your white foot in your mouth. It's like you, you can watch a lot of things and go, Ah, uh, well, yeah, no, this is a white guy doing this. This is heavy handed, you know, or they, but, but instead you get a no, like this, this hits, this hits that same stride as, as a movie like get out where it's very intelligently, um, driven and the characters feel real and their fears and everything feel real. It doesn't feel like you're a person writing out of, out of your situation, because again, you were living there, you're living in the middle of it. So it's, it's not, um, you know, you, you definitely can't speak of the full experience. That's why you get other people in to help and, you know, work with the script and hire cast members that, you know, have that background. But, um, yeah, it just, that really, really blew me away. And and hearing Philip talk about, you know, when I went and was casting for roles and, you know, it was always white guys and it was always this. And it's like, this is a leading role in a horror movie. And it's for me. Like it's looking for me like that. That's amazing. And it's like, yeah, that's like, I think you hit on something really special there. It doesn't, it doesn't feel, um, it doesn't feel pandering. You know what I mean? Good. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just kind of 
writing like empathy is the point i've had mm-hmm. some some people acquaintances like talk about you know being uncomfortable white people being uncomfortable at the thought of writing black characters and i'm like well you have to i mean well you don't have to you don't have to do anything you don't want to do but but like tony morrison always talked about who i worship she would talk about in her writing classes you know don't don't write what you know that whole idea she was completely opposed to it she was like write about people from far off lands that you have to research doing jobs and having life experiences that are outside of yours because that's how you that's how you that's the only chance you stand of empathizing right i don't know if you can't write people who aren't like you then you probably shouldn't be a writer and 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 also it's not like it's not like you're writing friday you know what i mean which which comes which you know that that automatically feels you know okay you're throwing in racial slurs and stereotypes and this stuff that that even you know 20 years after the fact, most black directors aren't doing anymore. Do you know what I mean? But there's, mm. there's a, there's a time and place thing, an appropriateness and the story you're telling is an appropriate story of empathy from the shoes of a, a person of a different race. Um, and that it, it just, it, it worked so damn well. And I'm sitting there watching because one, it's also scary as hell. I think that's the other thing that like just the, the dread of not knowing something about yourself, right? Yeah. Is, is just so real. And like these, and I've, I've always loved, and you, you played on it really well. The creepy new people show up that are obviously a tell for the audience that there's something not right, but you can still understand why everybody around would love them. Yeah, totally. It was, <laughs> a, it was, I remember talking with Megan cause she, uh, I, I had I held as many rehearsals as I could, which is not something that I don't know that usually happens in movies. But like I'm I'm always coming at all of this from like actor head. Right. She was she was talking about how like you know why would I I don't remember what scene. I mean this was all like two and a half years ago now, but um but she I think maybe the dinner scene she was talking about like what if I say something that makes that gives us way and i was like well that's fine because our objective through the whole film is to trigger his memories so that he confronts them and hopefully embraces them but if not then we'll take hostages or make threats or whatever needs to be done but it was just that it was a good balance of like how we could be kind of odd and how uh nathan can read it one way but how everybody else would just see it as you're uncomfortable about gentrification as you should be, but you know, they're harmless. It's fine. You know? Well, and, and that comes from the, you know, I love the drive of you get a lot of horror movies where someone goes, well, obviously these person, these people are bad, stay away from them. But you also have the reality of like the, like the grandmother says also rents do. So you know what, you know what? They're nice enough. I'm going to let this slide. <laughs> like you're feeling about them right now. And that's so real. People get taken advantage of that way on the most minor stupid things daily. So why couldn't, you know, people working for Satan actually use that to, to do something bad? You know what I mean? It's, Absolutely. Because that is how gentrification occurs. It is yep. insidious. And somebody needs something that these new people either have or are willing to, you know, like I said, I came here on student loans. Um, 
but I was willing to work the jobs that, you know, the stressful jobs that would, that, that would cover rent for someone who was moving into those neighborhoods. The people who had been there for generations were not willing to do that. So bit by bit, they just get priced out. Right. Ugh. Yeah, it's, it's one of those double-edged swords of, well, <laughs> it shows the economy's getting better, but yeah, then you're like, <laughs> you know, it's capitalism at, at yeah, its worst, yeah. right? It's like, oh, and it's wow. happening all, or, it's happening everywhere. I mean, it's, it's happening all around me, um, which is, you know, it's, 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 it's just bad, <laughs> but, but and it's scary. It's scary because you're losing culture and you're losing yes. um, communities and you're, you're losing lives potentially, you know, it's the, the, yeah. the, yeah. So, um, oh man, it, it's just so much to talk about. I love it. Um, it's a lot so <laughs> no, so, so what, um, so we, we talked about how you got to displace, but what drove like the subject matter? Like, was it, was the gentrification like a dramatic story you wanted to tell at first and it became horror or are you just like, no, I got to make something with, with, with blood and weird stuff. Like wh where does it come from? Um, no, I mean, I wanted it to be horror and it just, it just clicked into place better than other ideas I was having of like, you know, what would like, okay, gentrification, what would the metaphor, what is the, the heightened horror version of that? You know, you've got, people, typically Caucasian people, coming into this area, and the end result is homelessness. And it just kind of, I've always, I, the, the, the you know, I mentioned earlier, uh, co-writing a friend show that was about cults. I've always just been fascinated about the, the, um, the way that cults really kind of, I think moral relativism is the expression I mean. Yeah. Like, something can be so extreme to us, but is maybe right for those people, you know? Um, yeah, with, within the boundaries they set, this is completely fine. Right. Yeah. But, like, that's conflict. And empathy and conflict is, that's a screenplay. So I was like, so, you know, just make them, make them cultists, make them devil worshippers. And it was such an opportunity to... I mean, I didn't have to do a lot of research on the satanic panic because I've never not been researching it just for fun. Of course, of course. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, the metaphor just clicked into place really easily and it seemed appropriate for me to be doing. I was like, I can't make a movie about, even in 2018, like the thought occurred to me. I was like, well, what if all the, all the cops, you know, start targeting people of color? And it's like, that's not the movie for my white ass to be making. That's, no. Uh, that's that's the definition of fetishizing black drama. So, but you got but you got that you got that as a weapon for the villains to use against them, and I love that. Like that's yeah. very perfect, you know. And, I, and, it, and it only because the I took it as far as I felt comfortable taking it dramatically, given what's actually happening in our culture. Yep. Um, but it also. It just, it felt dishonest. And this is two, like I said, two and a half years ago, it felt dishonest to write a movie about Brooklyn and about people of color in Brooklyn, because there are very white neighborhoods in Brooklyn now that are thoroughly gentrified. But um, it just felt, it felt like naive and dishonest and sort of letting white people off the hook to not have a scene with police conflict, you know? Right. And I, it is, it, it's also very fitting, you know, that it, it plays on that, you know, 
fear of the outsider really it, it, it it's the guy with experience but he doesn't quite know what his experience is mm-hmm. you know that like scares him about these people and I, and I like the idea that it's not even though the you know the 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 racial line is drawn by the plot of the movie it's not Philip's afraid of them because he's black and they're white it's yes. Philip's Philip's afraid of them even though us as the audience is seeing the very important line of here's white people coming in gentrification taking you know a, a room from people um that you know could couldn't afford it you know at least that's the story that we're being told right. and um you know and then Philip no what what's scaring him has got nothing to do with any of that he thinks they're from the thing that he knows was bad but he can't really remember why and i i think that's so cool um that you're able to you're able to tell a story like that without the conflict being at all about i don't feel comfortable around them because they're white because the movie has that just being where it's taking place in the current time and everything else that air is already there so it doesn't have to do extra legwork no it's not it's nothing that really uh it's nothing that needed to be um explained in in dialogue or anything it was just sort of assumed it's it's perfect so then what um what inspiration drove the particular type of horror story you wanted to tell because i i call that this in the review and i don't know if this is what you were going for but this definitely feels like those you know paranoia type films uh, paranoia cult films of the late 70s and 80s you know the, the yeah. rosemary's babies um rob zombie did this with lords of salem more recently which was you know Love. we were salem. yeah i lo- i lived that through filming that you know that's very non-linear it, a lot of people don't quite get it i think it's his best movie but, I, do, but um, I i i really i think he's such an amazing director when he's when he allows his experimental uh flourishes well, not him. It's not him. It's the money people. When the money yeah. people let him do what he wants to do, his movies are fantastic. Yep, and and that's I'd say the majority of the time. I yep. I, I have there hasn't been one of his films that I've outright hated, but there's a couple of them where I went, oh Rob, man, you really know what you're doing, and they no, <laughs> just just stop. <laughs> well, yeah, it's got to be rough with the Weinstein in the room. Oh oh god, yeah, but. But I, I give him credit for trying. He's one of the few that get the bigger release and the bigger money behind them that really feels like, you know, because he's not like with Blumhouse. You know what I mean? He's yeah. got the And so it's like, man, you're getting people to put up money for you to do that. Like Halloween 2, not a great film, but man, did he try something weird with that yeah. storyline. You know what I mean? It's like, good for you. Good yeah. for you, Rob. It, 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 he's... <laughs> For my money, like he's the most. I mean, we're we're in a really golden moment of horror right now. But oh like, yeah, way to go! It was the Rob Zombie show. Like he was the only one who was really, and Ty West were the only ones who were like trying new things. Yeah. Oh, there's you mentioned Ty West. That was going to be the other one. And House of the Devil is is no. is a film is a film that yours um feels. Oh God! And then God, I keep forgetting Ty West also did um his cult movie. Oh God. What was that thing oh, called? The, the Jonestown. Movie. Yeah, that 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 was actually a blast. Um, yeah, Sacrament. Sacrament. There you go. Yeah, that was I, yeah, and so I was wondering, you know, what because because you know I talked to Philip and it, it amazed me that Philip had a very small background in horror, but um, I I from what I've heard from him, you are very well versed in the genre. So what was your, uh, you know, what made this script pop out? 
Like you, well, you obviously, as far as the horror elements of it. Um, I mean, it, I almost don't believe myself when I say this, but I was maybe two thirds into it before I was like, "Oh, this is Rosemary's Baby." <laughs> like, oh, like, cool! That's that's you know, awesome. Yeah, and I, as soon as I realized that, I was like, "Great!" I mean, that's a masterpiece. And I and I and once I was like, "Oh, it's Rosemary's Baby," then I thought of Polanski's previous film with Repulsion. Oh, Jesus! Like, okay, so it's. But then I started. I I, I don't. I think for me, because I'm on my halfway through my fourth script now, and displays oh, my second. So I'm I'm beginning to see what my what my bag of tricks is or what my hangups are, and uh, and I don't really know until it's done. But with that one, yeah, it was definitely Polanski, just because he did all that stuff better. There's lots of offshoots that are sort of you know the sentinel or uh what was the mephisto dance or whatever it's called oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah they're kind of like knockoffs but they don't they just they're not roman polanski you know can- canceled though he may be he's a he's a genius um you no know, he he did he, he invented an entire genre of of horror and then there's all the other films he freaking made yeah the guy yeah. He's 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 a he's a sick human being, but he could make some good horrors and yeah, good movies. And that's always been true through history. There's lots yeah. of artists who did some uh, uh, things that we wouldn't encourage. Yep. yep. But even earlier than like, because like I mentioned, uh, I watched nothing but horror movies from like four to eighteen. My mom was yeah. totally ill, <laughs> and then I found David Lynch, and he's my he's my favorite. He's my everything. Um, and I he was kind of like a bridge into dark drama which is what i gravitate more to as an adult yeah so looking at the movie it's like yeah there's the satanic paranoia period of polanski but also knife in the water and cul-de-sac before that are just incredibly stripped down like they're almost like theater plays they're just actors with these kind of ambiguous uncomfortable situations and it's just very simplified filmmaking. But it also, I have to, Kieslowski, you know, Kieslowski's Red in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's where I got the, uh, <laughs> you see, I'm trying to avoid spoilers. I don't know if I'm going to succeed, but. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying my best for you too, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But Nathan's particular manifestation of urban paranoia, voyeurism, that's Kieslowski. He's Oh, yeah all about just these people you know in their little like in the decalogue it looks like a housing project i i don't know if that's the right term for poland but um but they're all just they're all spying on each other and they're i don't i don't i can't even put my finger on it he's kind of he's like lynch is my favorite and i think bergman's the greatest filmmaker ever but he would kind of get my number two vote for greatest filmmaker like objectively so n- now that you mentioned the, the David Lynch, I can see that here. You, you did you did a lot. You know this this movie. Um, I won't say thankfully, but this movie ends up having a very linear narrative. Like it leaves it leaves a lot to like what exactly happened and what do they actually mean and all that. But Nathan's story is a fairly linear one. But the confusion and the nightmare sequences and the yeah thing that's very Lynch. The nightmare is um, the only place where I like. I could fit in a little bit of 
of that lynchy shit that I'm just like, I don't even care if I'm stealing it. I'm just obsessed with it. No, dude. It, it, and it, it worked really well in the setting because like you said, the setting is very stripped down. The setting was a, a character in and of itself in this, right? Whether that was intentional or just, you know, l- low budget filmmaking is low budget filmmaking. You got what you got. And Brooklyn just has that look, you know, whichever it is, but, um, Little you know, no. And, and again, that that's, I find that fascinating because I I've dabbled in, in making movies, you know, it, I was I was joking with the director of Lenny, um, Fetty Giannotti, that uh, you know his movie cost twelve thousand dollars, and I said, you know, I made a fifteen minute long zombie movie with my friends in two thousand four that we spent almost no money on, but my buddy Jeremy bought eight thousand dollars worth of airsoft rifles for the characters in the movie, so <laughs> technically our movie had an eight thousand dollar budget. So Amazing. you made a feature film. <laughs> For four thousand dollars more than my low budget fifteen minute long zombie movie, <laughs> that blows my mind. Yeah, ours, ours wasn't much more, but it was a little bit more than theirs. I no, was... and I, I don't. It it just you. I mean, two of. I, it it's hard to say. There's a favorite because the you guys are all over the place with the genre. Sh- this this festival showed what horror can really be, and that's not one thing. And I think that's great, but um. Yeah. Lenny was a visceral punch in the face of a damn movie, <laughs> um, but uh, damn. So so and and the, and this one was you know just the the characters in this. I wanted to say so you. I was talking to Philip and I. You know you, you never know from a writer um, or or a director. You know how much of this character is um, given to the character by the actor and how much of it is written. And, you know, you said you're in, you have a background as an actor. So you think of everything from an actor's perspective and there are many individual scenes that I could pick from this movie where, where that is apparent, but I'm still blown away. I've watched the movie twice up to this point. Oh, thank you. Uh, uh, no, I'm dude. It, 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 I really, really like it. Um, it, uh, <laughs> that opening scene, with the little boy that basically tells you everything about Nathan as a character before we even get, you know, any of the other stuff. Like, where does that come from? Like, you know, the, the idea of like, uh, you, cause that sets up so much. And that little boy was a great actor too, but yes. he's, the he's writing, cool. the writing of the dialogue in that scene felt, like I told Philip, it almost felt improv. It was so natural. You know what I mean? That's a huge compliment, but I, I, I do, and I listened to, to you guys talk about that, and there's, there's no improv in the movie. Um, which, is, which is fine. It just, I had just watched Threshold and, and like was right. blown away when I read that it was 99% improv, and I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I, I wonder, I do wonder with Threshold, which I loved, I totally loved it, I wrote to filmmakers, but I do, I do wonder if they meant more like it was arrived at through improv, because it's right. Very, right. It was it was very well. Uh, yeah, it didn't come. Purpose. It didn't come off like Anchorman. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but that's really like that's the I love improv and like I like I mentioned like I I, w- I would love to make movies like Jean Bartholet or Abdulatif Kashish and just be like oh there's a bumblebee now I'm gonna film that and my actors can wait I, I would I would love that <laughs> those people those people have well they come from countries that have arts funding for one thing. But like, or whatever it's coming from, they have money. So you just can't do improv when there's, when there's no money, unfortunately. 
Well, no, and, and sometimes, I mean, when you have a narrative, a tight narrative, you know, like, like you know, th- this movie is very deliberate, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and God, I'm, I'm putting words, but to me, it felt very deliberate, like the scenes are, you know, very, very deliberate in what they're trying to convey. So when you've got that, that kind of needs a structure. It's just, I, I'm always blown away when somebody at a level that, you know, I'm, I'm not sitting in a theater right now. I don't see a universal logo at the beginning of this thing. So there's a level of quality you expect when you see that. And then I, like I tell other people, you know, I go into any movie with the movie being an expectation that I'm going to like it. Cause I want to be entertained and I let the movie disprove my entertainment. That, that's what I do. So mm-hmm. that, that allows me to, you know, be able to watch a Steven Spielberg film and then watch, you know, uh, a shot on digital super eight, you know, with bad audio, you know, um, low budget movie that my buddy made and approach them with the same, um, level of respect. Do you know what I mean? But when you watch something, you know, like this, that, you know, with everybody today having access to clear digital photography, as I've said to other people, you still need to know how to frame a shot. Doesn't matter how good the camera you have is. I can, if if I'm a good cinematographer, I can film something great with a damn crank camera. You know what I mean? But it definitely helps from seeing a still shot or seeing, you know, an opening thing go, okay, I'm looking at something of quality here. But if the person doesn't know how to write and they don't know how to frame shots and they, you know, don't know how to edit and they, it all falls apart. But if they're kind of okay at those things and one of those things is strong, I mean, this is where you get something like clerks, right? An incredible script, not the best actors in the world and not very good directing, but it's one of the most beloved independent films of like the last 30 years. And, and, and I love it to death, but you know, that, that, that's the subjectiveness, you know, in the, the approach that, that, that I try to give to watching a movie, but this one the deliberateness of it and the quality of what you had to work with blows me away. And it really, it hits the ground running in that opening scene, you know? I mean, it, it's a, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I do have to just shout out uh, Jim DeMarco, our, our director of photography, because he, oh yeah, he was, he was, I mean, he was, he was a one man band. He did every camera person's job. He did every lighting person's job. Um, he took all of these apartments that were just four blank walls and he made them all, he, he differentiated each one of them from the last one. Yep. So he really, he, yeah, he works very hard. So much love to Jimmy. We're all grateful. Um, well, that, exactly. And you, you don't like, you don't need a hundred people behind the camera to make a professional looking shot. And I think people forget that, you well, know? Yeah. I mean, Clerks is the perfect example that that moment in filmmaking, you know, him and, you know, Robert Rodriguez and uh, Soderbergh, like they were all, I mean, less so Soderbergh. He, he, he just showed up and knew what he was doing, but, but like, which blows me away still. I, I, I that man's career is wonky. It's great. He's, he's just, I mean, talk about inventive, but, um, but like they wrote for what they had, you know, don't write. Don't write a space opera when you don't have money. Don't write Sophie's Choice when you, when you don't have serious actors. You know they they had a good sense of what they had access to, and I tried to do that with this one. You know, oh, absolutely. Maybe 
could have simplified it a bit, but lesson learned. <laughs> Just no, turn- dude. I mean, I, I can imagine the. So how long was the shoot? Um, we had. Uh, I should have looked that up. Oh, it's uh, okay. You can you can make it up. Tell me. Hey, well, we did funny. it. We did it in a day and a half because we're, <laughs> we're badasses. <laughs> we we had a uh, nineteen days spread out over a month. And then we had two pickup days like four months later when I had the the general, I don't know, rough cut. I don't really have drafts of scripts and edits. I just kind of finished them. Um, now, was, was the script 100% before the cast was um, chosen or did oh, yes. like or, or that? That's because, again, I only ask because I know, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, you know, I I'm I. I cast this guy and we talked and we went through the dialogue and I really liked the way he said this instead, you know, it just, so I, I, you know, always interested in how that works out. You mean just like calibrating lines to the actor? Yeah. Yeah. I'm I sure mean, was, yeah, we, we rehearsed, like I said, as much as, as I, as we could. Um, and if, if something felt wrong in somebody's mouth, but it didn't change the meaning then I was open to changing it. But I also, I'm a bit of a hard ass about those things. Because, That's okay. Because like I come from actor land. And so for me, it's like, I, I know every, <laughs> I'm going to sound so arrogant, but like I worked very hard on the script and whatever certain, whoever people like it or they don't, like every moment of it is motivated by what the characters want and what they're, where they're coming from, you know, what their point of view is. So for me, I'm like, no, that's how it's supposed to be. So you as the actor have to find that, you know? So I don't know. I'm, I'm a bit of a, a bit of a hard ass about uh, changing things. And No, that's, that's great. It just, it, it's more my understanding of the process. I, yeah, having dabbled in it the tiniest little bit, you know, it, it just, it's always cool to hear how different everyone's approaches to it. And yeah. I, I, I like the, you know, and I would imagine this would be a similar conversation for a lot of actor background people that write and direct, you know. Well, it's just like if you're doing, if you're doing King Lear and all, I mean, that's gobbledygook. We don't know what those words mean now, but you have to figure it out. That's your job. Yep. Oh, yeah. And and the, the fact that it all, you know, comes out and tells a narrative that, you know, is resonating with people is, you know, just a testament to how right you got it, right? Um, thank you. No, I, I mean it. It's so, um, God, so the cast, like, yes. so, so, um, what, what was the order? How was finding them? Like what, um, you know, it, it, I, I always, I had talked to Philip about how, you know, he had told the story of he saw an ad looking for, um, an actor, um, that, that was him, you know, the movie he was looking for, you know, mm-hmm. a black male to, to play this role. And, I, I always think back, I told them this, you know, Night of the Living Dead, which is touted as, you know, one of the very first big, you know, black lead, you know, we'll say horror films, but films in oh. general. Um, but um, Romero didn't write it with any um, race in mind for the lead. And yeah. he said well, by getting that guy in the role, it drove the, di- even though the dialogue didn't change, it drove the meaning behind it. It was just going to be strong male character. And now it's strong male character who is like the alpha in a room of a bunch of useless white people. And it, it really makes that movie mean so much more than it already did. And that became his, you know, calling card, the socially driven horror film, you know? And, uh, um, I just always find it interesting to see, you know, how that, how that casting process goes. So, well, with this one, 
you know, there were some rules where it was like, I don't know, there's a certain legal element where you're not allowed to, there were rules where I wanted to just write in the casting breakdown, you know, just anyone who isn't white, but then yep. apparently that could be grounds for discrimination against white people. And I'm like, oh yeah, I deal with okay. that at work. Okay. Yeah. It's kind of, <laughs> I don't know. It's all interesting, but, um, but I, so I was just specific about which roles needed to be, you know, like I, I just wanted to make sure that I had a, a, a core character for at least of at least four racial backgrounds. So, so yes. yeah, uh, Nathan needed to be black and Vanessa needed to be Asian American. Once I found our Jasmine and realized that she would be Latinx and obviously me and Megan needed to be white. Um, evil. Oh yeah. <laughs> but, fucking evil. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, um, wait, what was the question? What, what? <laughs> oh, I was just saying how, how did casting go? Like, you know, oh. how, like, you know, the, whatever funny stories from it, the order of how it went down, like, who'd you cast first? You know, <laughs> did you always know you were going to play um, your role? Or was oh, that yeah. like a circumstantial thing? No, no, no. Again, I, actor brain, I'm, uh, I've learned how to write, produce, direct, edit, like, all that stuff is in service of acting. So I'm not going to, writing a movie is, I mean, I, it's rocket science to me. The fact that there are people who enjoy doing this, like, alone. <laughs> like, it's so <laughs> it's crazy to me. It's really hard. And then raising the money is humiliating. And then editing a film, uh, I, I mean, it just, I, it's, that, again, like, I'm not tech savvy, so it's me constantly referring to YouTube about, yes, did I just delete half my movie, you know? <laughs> like, oh, no. Yeah. I, I, I've done that. Yeah, you know, so it's all it's all harrowing. If if people would just let me act, I don't know that I'd have to do all this, but it is fun as well. But um, casting, uh, yeah. So I'm never gonna do the hard time of writing something if I'm not gonna have a, a core role for myself. No, perfect. Um, yeah. But so um, there was someone we started casting in no September. September, October 2018, where we found Megan, who plays Heather, and we found Hope, who plays um, Loretta. Yes. We had a different Nathan, and we had a different Camilla, and for a variety of reasons, that didn't, uh, we had to get new Nathan and new Camilla, and um, very happy with the Camillas and the Nathan that we the, the Camilla and the Nathan that we... Oh, yeah. yeah. The Camillas and Nathans. Some, <laughs> some were lost in transport. What? <laughs> <I know. laughs> um, and then... Uh, oh, and, and we got Katie back in the first round of auditions, too. Katie and Megan just showed up to those auditions and, and like... Not to sound vulgar, but they just, like... They just, like, pissed on the floor. They just marked their territory. They were like, this role is mine. You know, and I was like, oh, shit, this is this is your role, you know? Yeah, um, absolutely. And I could say that about, you know, the whole cast. It's like they they just they fall into the, the characters. And that's why I was amazed, you know, expecting Philip to have something in his background, you know, that would be like, oh, and it turned out, you know, that I, I guess the, you know, the, the being brought up Christian background could drive, you know, the kind of awkwardness you know, with his character around these things and stuff. But at the same time, it's like, no, he's just a damn good actor, no, <laughs> you know? 
he's got all of Nathan's fragility, but like when you meet Phil, like at the cast party, Phil is like Phil is like Rico Suave. He's all smooth and bullshit. And I was nice. like, what's this person? Um, so so yeah, no, it's acting is the thing that excites me them, obviously. I've said that like 25 times now, but like No, but I get it, dude. That's this there's no no apology necessary, man. That that's what this is all about. If you if you were doing something that you hated, what's the point of doing it? Right. You know, I've already, you know, I've already <laughs> been waiting tables and working retail. Um, but so, yeah, it's just it, it is so exciting to um, to 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 work with the actors and then to when you are directing and producing simultaneously, you know, you, you do kind of <laughs> kind of like need a moment to be like, OK, now I'm acting. But like, yeah, it's it's all it's all. They all really did their did their work and i've watched it you know obviously i edited it so i've watched it millions of times now yeah it's like, it's like man i i'm having a hard time talking good about this thing i'm sick of it that's basically where you're at now <laughs> that's <laughs> it, how i felt when i edited my first movie it's like, oh, it Jesus. is kind of it is a little bit like like you know uh I, i'm not a parent but you know it's kind of like you know, my son is 19 and he hasn't gone to college and he's still in the basement. And I'm really ready to resume my life. You know, <laughs> it's kind of like that. God, um, I, I, I really I really hope and I mean it that that you're close to that. I, I think this is going to get eyes on it. I, I want that to happen. And I hope you I hope whatever, like other festivals, other things, you know, maybe it playing in a theater when the world stops being shitty and hmm. like people can do that safely um you, you know things yeah. like that uh but um i'm just reaching wow. out to distributors myself because good good every, every step of this has just been how do i how do i how do i do this you know i haven't and I when I'm, that when that yeah. happens i'm buying this so just let me know keep me keep me in mind i need i need to own this whether it's digital or a physical copy because uh, i will absolutely <laughs> keep no and, and, and i want to pay for it because you deserve that. <laughs> I really appreciate that. There's lots of lots of people involved in the crew who worked for points or worked for a combination of points and lower rates. So yep. anybody who rents this, uh, or even if it ends up on a streaming service and you just leave it playing while you take a shower, like that is money going into working. And I mean physical. I'm talking about the crew, like the cast we paid, the crew, you know, that they deserve to get, you know, some, some, some money. And I wouldn't no. mind myself. No, absolutely. And, and that's, that's the hard part, right? You know, is it's like, this is art. Why, why is the thing that brings people joy, the thing that you have to fight so damn hard to turn into a, a product, you know? This <laughs> well, I yeah. Mean, I was watching other movies from the festival. I didn't see a bunch, but I saw some, and a lot of them were Canadian, I guess. And it's, yes. Just, they had all of these funding bodies listed in their credits, and I'm just watching them through tears. Like, where did you get the money? Let me <laughs> let me tell you. Let me tell you a quick 30 second story about that. So we we made two movies, and you can you can find them on YouTube. I think I sent them to you. But we, me and my my buddies, my group of friends, we made two movies. They're 15 minute shorts. And back in the long time ago of the early 2000s. God, the fact that that's 20 years ago breaks my brain. Um, we made we work in a blockbuster together, and we made these two movies. And they were 15-minute long films, and they were for the 
thing that was the Salem Horror Fest before the Salem Horror Fest. There was this like local local put on by like public access TV like film festival. And they basically played everything that got entered, but they did, you know, reviews and they had, you know, a like board of ten critics that would send you like a handwritten like review of your movie. Like they were and let me tell you, they were treating it like we were making stuff for the Hollywood scene. They were they were brutal. But mm. it was great. Because I was the cameraman in both. I did the, the cinematography, i.e. the guy who had the VHSC camera in his hand and <laughs> set up the shots. And they said, but it looked really pretty and there were some very inspired angles in this. And I was <laughs> like, oh, all right. <laughs> but no. But um, we, went, we went to it both times and got to see the other movies that we were up against. And the ones that won the year we made our zombie movie, which I was actually really proud of considering, you know, what we put into it all looked like really, really high quality, um, like Tales from the Crypt episodes. You know what I mean? So not like this definitely wasn't, you know, like, uh, you know, high budget, you know, Saw movie or something like that. But they were they were beautifully lit and, you know, and there was obviously a production and they were shooting at night and it was lit well. And I'm like, hold on. And you look at the end credits go played paid for by the Ontario Board of Film. It's like like, (laughs) this isn't an independent movie. How does this work? But then you read into it and goes, no, there's a ton of funding in Canada for that. I know. And it's like, all right, okay. So, because we felt like kind of duped, we're like, wait a minute, we're three guys working at a blockbuster. Like, we have no funding. Yeah. <laughs> no, I totally. I, I, I. It is so. It's just something that I have to remind myself about. You know, like, just it's we don't live there, so we just gotta we just gotta find creative ways around. Um, like, if you can't throw money at the problem, you just have to throw ideas at it, right? You know. Well, remember. For everybody that makes something good with those types of funding, you end up with people like Juve Boll, who <laughs> basically are pulling the producers because Germany has a basic, I think it's Germany or Hungary or wherever he, he's from, that the reason he keeps making these movies is there's like a X amount of dollar grant that you get. And so he gets paid and everyone gets paid no matter if the movie makes money or not. It's just a, you made a movie, here's this money. So oh he just God. he just keeps making total crap for next to nothing and God is is living a life of luxury. That's I mean that that's the American dream. Where's <laughs> right? It just reminds me of the producers. If your movie fails, you do better because <laughs> the grant money is basically there to if you don't turn a profit, here's your pay. But then if you do, you take your profit. It's like, oh, no, the pay for my movie doing crappy is better. I'll, 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 just, I'll just take that. Well, I mean, it's like, I, in that way, it is kind of like the student loans. You know, they, if you default, somehow they make a profit. And I'm like, how did that work? So, so an actor uh, dabbling in, in writing and directing, and I'm sure jack of all trades, because a small set like this, everybody's holding a mic and everybody's holding a lighting fixture and everybody's, you know... Um, like what was your background in like pulling off, uh, effects work, you know, cause there's, there's practical, there's, there's blood and stabbings and, mm. you know, and cats heads being cut off, you know, and all this, <laughs> stuff. uh, but then there's also, um, and again, I, I don't know how much of it is in camera and how much of some of the stuff you do might have di- digital altering or whatever, but do you have a background in that? You see, you're not very tech savvy or was that all like your DP that just kind of knew his shit? 
we had some people do some some light CG, which I hesitate to to say because I, I, I you know I I, I like my uh, my werewolf transformations made with yep. with latex and, and corn Me syrup. Me too. Um, <laughs> but there's plenty. I mean, I I built the cat. Um, I did. Phil had the hand makeup briefly in the van scene. He had the yep. there's a brief shot in the mirror, and he's got makeup. So I did. The, I mean, I, 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 I don't want to make myself sound like I think I'm Rob Bottin because I'm not, but I, I did all of the props and makeup stuff, not because I'm so good at it, but because I worked for free, you know? No, absolutely. I mean, it, it always goes back to the, I, I remember, um, you know, movies that have come out recently that had, you know, a, a one-stop shop guy. I remember watching an interview with Oren Pelly uh, mm-hmm. talking about paranormal activity and how he whittled the cross. Oh, because he yeah. couldn't find one. <laughs> just like, you, it's like okay, yeah, and and why not? Like that is, I do have some some friends who 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 like they would look for someone to they would pay someone to like whittle the cross, and I'm like, get a knife. What are you what are you doing? Yeah, get a knife. That's 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 how I do all my stuff. Uh, so the the reason I say that it, it's cool that you mentioned that. Now, again, not trying to reveal too much because I want people to watch the movie, but there is a particular entity that shows up in this film mm-hmm. that I really, really like the design of. Okay. Um, and, and I was just going to say, cause again, that any movie that has, you know, the occult type background usually has some sort of entity or presence or vision, you know, that shows up and, you know, there's the classic look you can go for, for these types of things. And then there's more obscure and more, interesting and i really like what you guys did here and without blowing you know what it was you know is is that you know uh like was that one of the things that you did was that like mostly in camera the way that that thing looked or was there there i did um kind of the base layer of what you're seeing and then there's some computer stuff yeah of course it has to be top of it (laughs) Uh, yeah so but yeah we kind of that seemed to be the uh correct approach so so it, it was a mix um of of the of the computer and the uh you know grease paint no and that's good as because say i i really like the design of it and i think that that um it, it really merged well with the overall look and feel of the movie um, you know, okay. that kind of like the kind of from the ground, from nature, you know, thing that it just, it all, it all was very cool and it worked. I, I talk about, um, you know, some horror movies from the early two thousands that you look back on and like when someone's, tr- when someone has a, you know, small toolbox available to them, like obviously in making independent movies, you do, mm-hmm. there's, there's a, a problem that can occur where, okay, well, we really need this big, you know, big event to happen in the movie. And so we're going to have, you know, a big um, creature show up or a big this. And they, they put all their chips into getting, you know, like, especially in the early 2000s, getting a CGI thing that just looks terrible, you know. But right. they spend a ton of money on it. And when you're making a cheaper movie, you spend a ton of money. And then it not only doesn't look good, but it doesn't mesh with the rest of your movie. Yeah, I, I do know what you're saying. You kind of... Everything has to. I'm so pretentious, but is the word very, very, very similitude? You know, like of yep. the thing. Yeah, like, couldn't be. If people see the movie and they see what you're talking about, it is kind of a 
simplified design that you can kind of just project your own, you know, dark thoughts. Yeah. Onto. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that's, that was, that was the right choice for this uh, movie. We couldn't, we couldn't do, you know, Tim Curry in Legend, you know. Yeah, and ex- th- I was going to say that. I'm glad you said it instead of me. Um, but, you know, and, that, and that's, you know, it, it helps, too, because it, there's a couple of sequences of, um, uh, I want to say Philip, of Nathan um, envisioning himself as, as being taken over by dark powers. And it's very consistent with that look, with, like, the glow in his eyes and everything. And it's like, see, it, the movie foreshadowed itself. Instead of it being, okay, cool, we went for three acts in this very grounded, you know, very, you know, person-in-person, you know, dialogue-driven thing. And now we're just going to pull out all the stops and do, you know, this ridiculous third act. Yeah, I really, I I learned that in in writing it. I was like, you know, you gotta, if you're going to go spooky in the end, you gotta drop a little spooky throughout, you know? Yeah, and it has to be spooky that's consistent. I, I watched um, a, a buddies of mine on the Geeks with Shields podcast do Geeks Who Haunt every year around Halloween, and they <laughs> they they do um, and we're we're we rewatching the Grudge series, okay. and 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 you know there's still some spooky stuff in there, but the first Grudge I remember, especially the, the remake, remember being you know super super creepy, and there's definitely some scary stuff, but it's extremely inconsistent with its what the creature can do and what the creature looks like. And I don't mean that it manifests differently. I mean, there's sometimes where it's like 2d drawing on a black background. And then in another scene, it's a puppet. And then in another scene, it's bad CGI and looking at it back, it doesn't hold up. Whereas a movie that kind of knows its limitations and puts a boundary on how far you're going to go. So the whole thing gels works better. I, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I said this to several people when we were gearing up to make the movie, but I was like, you know, we, we, if you put, <laughs> if you put a mane and a blue ribbon on a pig, no one was going to think it's a prized pony. But you might have a great pig, you know. Ah, there you go. Stick with the pig. <laughs> pig which What's the? Is it Albert Einstein? There's some quote that's always thrown around. You can spend your entire life um, telling a fish it doesn't know how to climb a tree. <laughs> or something like that, but it doesn't realize it's a great swimmer or something like that. It's just like the, yeah. you know, the, uh, um, oh man, no, that's wild. So it just, it's cool to see. And I'm glad that you say that, that you try to do as much in camera as possible. Cause that you can have something that looks less good. And I'm not saying that about your movie, but something that looks less good than what you could have done. If you like you added, you know, $20 million in your budget, but it feels more real and authentic because you had to put in the time and effort to make it show up. Yeah. And it's also a question of like, if you're dealing with the supernatural, but you're trying to, like I saw that, that, what was it called? Personal shopper, the Olivia. Oh yeah. And it's, I loved it. I, that's like my sweet spot is like something, a horror topic handled like drama. I just, yes my favorite imaginable kind of movie but like if you're dealing with the supernatural like you you kind of just keep it minimal and keep it grounded because uh that's how people i don't know it it, it just can't be too jarring if you're making a movie that is otherwise sort of uh, a drama right like you're not making displaced isn't evil dead right 
Right. So if the so if the third act of Evil Dead all of a sudden was yeah people's heads are going to start popping off and you know there's going to be demons running around and blood flying around everywhere you know it wouldn't have felt it would have been really cool to see your version of that but yeah. um but it wouldn't have fit you know and sometimes yeah. that genre bend can work in a movie's favor but I think when you're when you're working with um in in the independent sect like this and you know you have a movie that's so strongly dramatic and has such a good cast that that would almost be um it would be betraying that you know mm-hmm. a bit if you just went out oh, let's pull out all the stops and dump the yellow blood out let's have fun <laughs> yeah. yeah totally and i i would i would love to and my, my jimmy would love to do an evil dead kind of thing <laughs> wouldn't we uh, all <laughs> yeah but but evil dead is expensive that's an expensive movie compared yes, to yes even you know, even even the original is is an yeah. expensive independent movie when you look back on it it really is like people i'm really realizing you know the idea you know you hear through the ether is like you should you should make um a horror film for your first movie because it's cheaper and it doesn't need name talent to sell. But that's by, that's by industry standards. They're talking about just cheaper to them means like half a million, you know? Yeah. Like it, when you're, when you're, when you're a waiter, <laughs> like you, you can't, ha- you, well, a, I don't have the damn cabin. Everyone else seems to have, um, <sighs> but like, but, uh, uh, cabins are expensive. Cabins are expensive, but there were lots of cabins in the festival, and they were very good movies. But like everyone had a cabin, I was like, oh, anyway. But um, if you're breaking windows and spraying blood and 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 all that stuff, like that's expensive, you know. Like that for a, a real, not not in the film industry, like that costs lots of money. So, well, it that's is where I am now. I'm trying to figure out how to move forward and up the spe- up the spectacle a bit. Yeah, no, and that's that's what really blows me away. And again, it doesn't need spectacle to be a good movie. I mean, we're so we're talking about with yours, and you know, but it it's amazing what people are able to pull off. And again, that's why I thought that that entity in your movie was so cool because it's like, all right, the characters in this room are all telling me something is going to be there. Am I going to get to see it? And then the camera turns, and I went, "That's cool," you oh. know, like and, no, and and that because you know you expect you can expect many number of things for how that's going to look. And some of them could look really bad if, if you, if you don't have a budget, you know, mm. and some of them can look really cool, but wouldn't have fit with what you would put on screen up to that point. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. That's cool. No, that's, that's, that's awesome. Um, no, uh, dude, it's wild. So, um, so this movie was finished when this was finished january 12th or 13th of this year wow so pre-pandemic yeah and um and what were there when it was done were there plans and aspirations for what was going to happen with it or was it just okay i got this movie done and i need to you know because you'd said you're on your fourth screenplay at this point so there was you were working on other screenplays after this but you know was um was there an idea of what was going to happen did that change with the pandemic like um i mean i really I, you know i don't know uh i uh, the goal of course was to go to a festival that would that would do what salem did you know salem salem may be new but they 
they peddle their program. They get it out to reviewers and yeah, you know, they do. People like that, like people were putting my movie on a letterbox before I before I knew to do that because again, I don't have I don't have anybody telling me you know what to do or how how to do these things. So I, I set that up, but um. Wait, what was the question? No, is it, no, no. I was, I was about to say you, you mentioned the Salem thing. Isn't it funny? Um, and, and again, you're 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 in Brooklyn, but I'm sure everybody hears about Salem. But I grew up next to Salem until 2016. That when the when the horror fest started officially, that city had the hardest time embracing the fact that they were like an art and culture and film like centerpiece. Like so strange. It's so weird, and it, it comes from, and I get it, it comes from the elders of the town kind of being, you know, on the, do we really want the entire thing we're known for being that we murdered a bunch of girls that didn't deserve it back in the 1600s? Like, I, I get it, but you kind of have to go where your tourism pushes you, and you can do things to help promote the fact that that was wrong, you know what I mean, and yeah. all this stuff, if you do it right. And it's only been recently that they've really gotten really good at bridging that gap. And this, the, the folks that put on this this show, this have been at the forefront of that. And they they deal with the most pain in the ass because as as um, progressive as the East Coast is touted to be, touted. Uh, particularly the Boston Salem area. We have got some old-fashioned, very nasty people on the other side of things, and they have tried to drive these guys out of town so many times. Um, I believe there's in, a there's a Trump uh, on yep. the block. There's a Trump um, in New York City. There's a Trump. What do you call it? Like a banner, like an enormous red banner. Yep. I'm like it's it's insulting here. You know, it's extremely insulting. And you know, it was even more insulting. You know, you being a New Yorker, me and my wife and our kids couple weeks ago went to new york the the american girl store is there and my wife wanted to take you know my daughter for her birthday a waiter there for a couple days that's awesome and so we we took my daughter there because the one around here closed and you know thought it'd be a fun day trip and i was joking i was putting pictures up on twitter and going look at all of these terrible anarchists i feel so unsafe look at all the people on the streets and there was no one there because new yorkers have learned like the rest of the world, like Salem, unfortunately, needs to learn um, that, you know, the way to stop this is not to be out in mass. Mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> that's neither here nor there. But uh, no, literally, literally some right winger, um, per- because the, the, the runners of the horror fest are very openly anti-Trump. Um, and, you know, who puts politics in horror? Have you ever watched a horror film? Any anyway, um, yeah. drove them out. They they literally like James gunned them and went um went to the Salem Visitor Center and said, "Well, you guys are a public government run agency," and they basically said, "Erase all of your stuff about Trump." And he said, "No effing way!" And they booted them out. So like one of the places that was going to show like ten of the movies like a year or two ago, it's just like damn. Like so they've they've been through it. That's well, I mean, I think that's why they are so invested in i mean it's not even indie anymore like it's just diy filmmakers yes we're we're on because indie sounds like you know focus features or or blumhouse is indie technically i guess right and isn't it wild that like 
we and again, still, you know, I, I love what Blumhouse does, but isn't it wild that you know, to a production company, you know, a low budget film is five to ten million dollars. It blows. Well, that's what I really. I listened to Rebecca McKendry's uh, podcast about, you know, well everything horror. But she she was talking about what is the definition of micro budget, and she was like three hundred thousand and below. And I was like, oh, okay. So I made a nano budget film. You know, I made like, <laughs> yeah, that's like the, the the just the terms that people throw around are not. You don't realize until you're attempting to be in the industry that. Indie and micro budget, like they 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 mean more than the average person makes in fifteen years in this country, you know. Yeah, no, exactly. It's it's completely bonkers, and the fact that so many of you, oh God, I want to say us, um, because I I dabble, but you know you know yeah. the fact that there's so many people that um, th- this is what this told me. I watched ten films, and I'm going to watch more from the horror fest this year and every single one of them every single one of them could easily be um played in the theater on like the a24 banner or something like that Uh you know what i mean no no and and, no i mean that from the level of quality yeah you know but that's just that's the dream i think anybody in the festival but again i mean seriously like like a, a film like yours a film like threshold a film like the strings you know these films these films are like you know, and again, this is not to depreciate how good any the the A twenty four films are. This is to say how good of a job you guys are doing. I could w- have watched that in you know a small art house run theater like it, it follows and be like, yeah, this film deserves to be on screen the same way that did. You know, yeah, I, I I agree. That's the level of quality we're talking about, and it's you know people that aren't spending even a hundred thousand dollars, even fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, even twenty. You know, th- this blows when 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 uh when Fetty told me that he goes, this movie was twelve thousand dollars and I went, What? Cause cause remember, I, you know, you and I, you mentioned Robert Rodriguez. I remember reading Rebel Without a Crew and being inspired by it. And him yeah. going, I made my film for eight grand. And people are like, how can you make your film for eight grand? Because at the time it wasn't digital. Film, I know. I don't know how he prints. Film prints cost thirty five thousand dollars. Like that's the going rate. And he said, "Yep." I showed up with a VHS cassette with my movie on it. And when Miramax bought the movie, I said, "Fine, you pay to get it put on film." That's why my film cost eight thousand dollars. You're a badass. Yeah. No. Exactly. He he is a badass. It's really true. I hope that I. I'd love to say that I do want because I'm looking at distribution companies now. Like I said, and. And they're all like, you know, we're looking for people who have a solid social media following and have really done their marketing plan. And I'm like, no, no, that's your job. I've done every imaginable job. You guys do your job, please. Yeah, you know? we're looking we're looking for filmmakers who are also influencers. Yeah, exactly. And have a degree in, in business. And I'm like, guys, no. Like, so I hope that I get that chance to Yeah, isn't isn't it shitty? Isn't it shitty that um that making movies has gone the way of uber where it's like hey can you can you make the movie um also be the guy that makes the food for the people on set can you um can you print all the advertisements on your home printer can you you know what i mean it's like uh what what did i pay you for i yeah that does seem to be from the people that i've i've talked to it's like people really 
have gotten taken for a ride in terms of distribution. It's, it's, it's turning into, um, I've been listening to a lot of like punk rock podcasts, like mm. my, my, my favorite band. And again, they would even admit not the best band in the world, but my, my favorite band, less than Jake, the lead singer runs a, and you'll actually hear that, but, but, but thing is written by yeah. him. I paid oh, the cool. guy to write a song for one of my shows. I, 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 the fact that he does it is so cool. And, um, his, he has a lot of people on and it, it's the ride that like that early, that mid nineties to early two thousands, like punk artists, when that became like, everybody wants you guys. Yeah. All the rides they got taken for seem to be what's going on with, with micro budget films right now. And it's, it's sick. It's, it's, it's not right. It, I agree. And I, I don't know. I've got some thoughts. I'm always scheming about what, what to do to make the next project bigger than the last in terms of, uh, in terms of, you know, making this my career. So, no, as far as I'm concerned, it already is, man. And I, uh, I, I know that I'm a nobody in the grand scheme of things, but, um, like I said to Philip, you know, I, I'm just happy to be talking to you guys now and I hope you keep me in mind when, you know, the, when, when this movie gets picked up and I mean it, I really feel like it's all about whose eyes it gets in front of. Right. And it, it, Mm -hmm. a fest like this can make that kind of thing happen because I mean, going through my Twitter feed, one of the reasons I picked this was, you know, going through my Twitter feed, it was displaced. Displaced is one of the first three movies I watched. Holy crap. You got to watch this. And it's like, okay. And, And that's why I watched the strings. And that's why I watched threshold. It was, you know, this, this word of mouth of just, the the quality of filmmaking that's coming out in this, um, so those are both good movies. I'm I'm happy to be in there. They company. are they are really freaking good movies. Um, uh, you know the 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 thing that I that I find really interesting about this is you know you, like I said you fell into that 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 you know occult you know seventies kind of genre and all of those movies I love the way they wrap things up. And again, I'm, I'm not going to try to blow stuff, but this movie's third act reveal of what's going on just happens as a conversation. And I, I like that. And I, and I said it in my review, you know, it's one of those things when it starts, you kind of go, Oh no movie, this is where your exposition comes in and ruins it for me. And instead the insidiousness of the plan and the, Hey, you know, this is why this person couldn't tell. And this is, you know, it, it mm-hmm. just had a very cool, like the odds are up against you, but instead of it, you know, a, a lot of movies have the, the odds are up against you and we're going to do something awful to you. It's no, the odds are up against you. And guess what? You're this, you've been this the whole time. And not only were you this, but you were damn good at it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And guess what? This person you were really close to at the beginning of the movie that we have that great setup scene you have to do a horrible horrible thing to them to make all of this go down and you're gonna love it and you're gonna enjoy it and i just i love the way that played out because you could have a big let's go back through and show all the scenes of what he did when he was younger and everything to tell that story but i love that it was grounded in that kind of like and then the you know the, 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 the hand is shown and they are so stacked up like, you know, like, like gentrification. They're so stacked up that even in knowing it, there's not much you can do about it. Well, thank you. That I very happy to hear you say that. I, I know that 
uh, exposition is one of those things that writers live in fear of. But well, I you, feel like you got a great actress for it too. Well, right. Like uh, for, that's from a from a writing and an acting. Well, from a writing standpoint, I feel like it's not exposition if it continues to ratchet up the conflict for the protagonist. And from an acting standpoint, if it's if you, fine, you're talking, but you're taught again. Like I come from theater. If you do, if you do a one man show, you know there was a one man show called. Uh, I am my own wife. It won the Pulitzer in, I don't know, 2001 or something. That's, that is a 70 page monologue. So I just, I don't, I don't go in for this notion that, that like, it's just exposition because it's dialogue or because it's long, as long as an actor is pursuing their objective actively through the text, then it isn't expository in my book. Not everybody agree. You know, they just have to be uh, active in it. So, and also, it, I think about like I think about like the the Bergman face to face. Like Lee Volman has like a, I mean, like a, an eleven minute monologue. She's standing still against this wall, weeping, talking to Joseph Erlinson, who's completely silent the whole time. But she plugged in. She knows her craft. So. Exposition, I understand why writers fear it because they don't control the actor who's going to be delivering those lines. But, like, I just, I don't know. I think that I don't believe, I like talky movies, I guess is all I'm really saying. <laughs> no, true. And, you know, to, to talk back to that character in particular, um, the second time through the movie, I picked up on a few more times that, like, their influence is everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the scene in the mental hospital. Where he's where he's meeting with <laughs> with the girl from the cult, and I didn't catch it till the second time that the guy who's got his back turned so she can kind of go a little nutty and do her little spiel and then do her little deed there. Mm-hmm. He's got his back turned because he's mesmerized by a news broadcast of that woman's on his cell phone. Yeah, and I w- I sat there the second time watching and started applauding. I'm like, that's so <laughs> fucking cool. Like, because again, the mo- the movie doesn't draw attention to it; it's just there. Yeah, that's like that. That's Shyamalan level, and I mean, you know, oh, respectable, you. respectable side of him because he's 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 yeah. making a comeback. But you know yeah. what I mean? That's that's early him. Like, everything in my movie is deliberate, but you gotta you, you're gonna want to watch it a second time and, and to catch it. And that you know didn't it did did you need to do that? That didn't need to be there, but it adds so much to what's going on there. It's like no, 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 no. they are fully in control. They oh, just yeah. need they just need him to snap back in. Exactly. Every single thing that those characters do is it's it's just to get him back in the fold, and they've got that deadline because the prophecy that's Friday night. We got like four days to make this happen. Uh, another another thing that I that I really love. Um, talking about you know like the characters and the driving is that well the reveal of who you know has 100% control of it you know they're still human yes. that's that's a thing i really like about the stories they're still human and they're still flawed i love with Megan and your character as soon as it turns out that you know our our guy there is kind of not going to go along with this they got the no, no no we got this we'll have a child for you you know what the, I mean? We'll make this work. It's very like, um, <laughs> it, it's very like crap. You know, we fucked up. 
You know what I mean? We'll do it. We swear. Oh God, don't, 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 don't. We're, we're fine. You know what I mean? It's, it's going to be fine. And it, it's very much, I love it when, when a horror movie does the, it, it, these aren't James Bond villains. You know what I mean? That have the full hey. thing in control. There's still a, there's still a humanistic, we're flawed, we can screw up, you know, and um, we can be petty and, you know, we're not all knowing and all powerful. And and I, I love whenever things that have an occult or a like higher power working in film still there, they have to use these assets, these entities that are human and they are flawed because of that. And that really helps sell it. I, I, Thank you. Yeah, that that was kind of a, a tiny moment, but it was like it just it was it was the right moment. It was a yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it, it, you, you, I just for me like the difference between a flat character and a three dimensional character in the simplest terms is just make sure that they have a clear objective, a clear in film that should be like a clear visible objective, and um, and and that they have some degree of a backstory in the script. You know, Jasmine only mentions she's like a sentence or two about her past but yeah actor can fill that and make a whole character out of it you know so and and you you it's it's so true and you, you go back to jasmine and you mentioned the voyeuristic thing you know i it took me and and, and again th- this could have been intentional it could just be me and how i watched the movie but until that scene where she found his little drive of recordings mm-hmm. I didn't even put two and two together that he was filming and recording. I had almost put that those things were kind of like, yeah, he may have set up a camera, but that was part of his like Lynchian nightmare imagery stuff of like him waking up and seeing the girl on his TV, you know, getting beat up by her boyfriend was almost like some higher power beaming that to him. Like, or, or it was just, you know, his brain screwing with him or whatever, because earlier they show him seeing himself in on the TV, wake up with the, you know, with the demon eyes. So it's like, I didn't fully buy any of that, like that he was actually seeing it. So that added to the mystery. And I thought that was cool. Yeah. I mean, it is all about, as I'm learning, everything I write seems to be about just, you know, uh, a protagonist not being able to really trust their perceptions. So Mm. if the audience doesn't follow all the time I'm, I'm again I'm a lynch person like I'm fine with that right and then then you know speaking of that you end up with with films in the horror fest like Black Lake that was entirely a mood thing that I can't wait to talk to um to Kay about that and help me understand exactly what was going on because I <laughs> love the movie to death but that is far from a linear narrative <laughs> and uh. I mean that in the best way yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I wish very I Lynchian. It. It's very Lynchian. It's in a, in a good way, but I'm just in a like. I don't know how I feel about what I just watched because I can't parse what I just watched, <laughs> kind of way. And it, and then you know, I, I can't wait for that conversation. But again, that doesn't make one thing better than the other one. You know, you can have, you can have a movie that's just you know pretentious and thrown together because someone you know thinks they're artistic and they. They don't hit on anything that's meaningful, and that's not what it is at all. Um, yeah, man. So, uh, you know, I, I don't want to keep you forever. I, I could talk forever about this, but uh, is there, you know, anything that I haven't touched on that you want to get out there about the movie? 
Um, in, I, I, I don't know. Um, not really. If anybody's out there looking to uh, finance a finance a movie, I, I got I got some. Like I got. Some, I feel like I'm opening up my my trench coat full of fake Rolexes. You know, like I've got, <laughs> I've got a fifty thousand dollar budget. I've got five billion dollar budget. Let's talk. Yeah. I don't know. I, all I'm ever looking for is just how do I get into those rooms? So maybe someone will hear this and, and you will have done far more than, than anybody could, uh, I don't know, could have hoped for. Oh God, I would hope so. That, that'd be great. <laughs> and yeah, just, just don't forget who got you there, man. No, I'm kidding. Um, you, you've <laughs> made, you made an amazing movie and that's what got you there. Uh, um, I guess I give you a chance to promote or pitch or tell anybody about anything else you got going on. And as, as I said to Philip, if you got something to say to aspiring actors or filmmakers, you know, you've, you, you've only just been in one festival, but that festival's got, you know, a wide because of the pandemic and just because of the fact that they're awesome has a wide, um, you know, reach. And so people are going to hear this, I would imagine, and people are going to see your movie and want to know what you think and, you know, whatever you got, just your, your chance to say something. Um, I, I, I guess, uh, I, I mean, I think we sort of already, the only like advice I can give is really what we already said, uh, right for what you have because people, people, film people talk about that a lot and they're talking about locations or, I don't know, maybe pop the costumes, but like if, um, you, you need to write for, for the cast that you have, if you if you live in rural Nebraska, you probably don't know someone with Robert De Niro's training. Um, yep. And if you do live in New York City or LA, hire the trained actor. Don't hire like I just yeah. I would I would. There's I don't know. I guess I'm just reacting against what I see on like No Film School and some of those uh, blogs that are so tech oriented. I'm like learn what story structure is, spend a long time on your script, get people to read it, and work with actors who have studied their craft. You know, it can't just, don't rely on the on the gadgetry. Yeah, and don't have that at the forefront. Of course, you know, if you're going to school for the gadgetry, use oh, it. Oh, yeah. But, no, and, and that, that's, that's, I think, a thing, thing people have a hard time, like, like, I'm an engineer. Um, and it's always about, oh, so then you know about this thing. And it's like, no, 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 you, you don't, uh, you don't become an engineer to play with that gadget. Cause that gadget will be replaced with something. It's mm-hmm. like, those are tools. I, I'm, I'm an engineer because I like making things happen. Um, so yeah. I'm going to use what tools I have to do that. And if those tools change, I'm going to adapt with them. But at the end of the day. You know, unless the your your intent is to make a tech demo, you know what I mean, or mm-hmm. or something, you gotta have some reason for your film to exist in the first place. And you, if you don't have a story or you don't have, you know, so it's just not gonna get there. Yeah, you you need you need the the art and the crafts to give all the all those other things meaning you know yeah absolutely wow that's all i got and there's nothing to plug except you know uh, my 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 desire for more money to make more more yes (laughs) yes 
distributors, producers, if you're hearing this, find I find a way to get in contact with Josh. His contact info will be in here. I guarantee he'll put the movie in front of your eyes if you're interested, and it's yes. worth it. It is worth, 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 worth it, and I mean that. Um, well, dude, th- thank you so much. I, my situation's been rough, so getting to reach out and talk to someone has been great. Um, yeah, I really... I really had a blast with your movie. I can't wait to talk to you. I think Megan um, is going to come on soon too. So that'll be great. And I, I just really appreciate it. And for anyone that watches the movie before looking at Josh's Twitter handle, you'll immediately know what character he played. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Well, thank you. This has been, um, it's, it's really, uh, it's kind of overwhelming to like put your, you know, the project you worked for two years on out into the world and everybody has their opinion. Um, it's it, 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 the most meaningful thing isn't whether people like it or not, but just knowing that, that people have thoroughly considered it and you really have done that. So I'm, I'm very appreciative. Well, I, I appreciate you. Like I said, it's a, it, it's an honor that you were so open about wanting to talk about it. Cause, uh, you know, I put myself out there um, hoping that, you know, people would want to. And it's just the, the reaction of my fans has been great. The reaction of people from the fest has been great. And the reaction of you guys, the filmmakers, who I just, you know, I could talk film with people all day. I, th- I think it's it's fascinating and it should be an open should be an open art form for everybody. You know, you don't yes. have to you don't have to be versed in, you know, all of the greats to, to be able to talk about it. Um, oh, I did. I did have. I did have one question. Yeah. Um, but finish your thought. You sounded like you were going to say something. Oh, I was. I was just going to say you don't have to. That's the most important thing. Actually, I should have said it earlier. Is you don't have to be rich to do this. You have to. You have to. You know. You know. Be like Bernie Sanders and question. You know why we don't have the same things other first world nations have, and just be scrappy. Someone called my movie scrappy on Twitter, and I was like, yes, that's exactly what I wanted. Yeah. No, that's a perfect, you can, you can feel it being made. Yeah. Like you can, you can almost put yourself behind the camera and see what the set looks like. You, you, you know what I mean? Like it, it just, I, I love watching movies like that. And, and I don't mean that is not at all a tell of the movie looking cheap. That's a tell of, oh. you can feel the love and time and like, it doesn't feel manufactured. There's no like. Because again, you can film a really beautiful movie and it's all on set and it looks so damn good that you go, ah, this kind of looks kind of cold and clinical and blue screened, even if it isn't. Yes. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yes, I really do. (laughs) It's like it lit too perfectly. And that I like watching a movie that, you know, is a movie. I think that's a big issue in modern horror. It's the lighting. I think everything's so pristine and beautiful. And I'm like. No one's hiding in that shadow because that shadow isn't a shadow, you know? <laughs> yeah, that shadow is perfect, and I can see everything. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, yeah, so like you say, um, Philip told me that at the rap party you played what you what you called, you know, one of the greats, like as far as horror was concerned. <laughs> Maybe you showed a few, but he's he couldn't remember the name, and he felt so embarrassed. He's like, just talk to Josh. He'll remember. He goes, <laughs> I... Yeah, and I, I remember listening to that, and I was like, "What did I play?" I'm. I know I played Night of the Living Dead three. Awesome. Um, yeah, because it's just a fucking masterpiece. Um, and uh, and I, I I I was 
pushing for Night of the Demons because, you know. Oh, hell yeah. You know, like, I, I can't, it kills me that Joe Dante and Linnea Quigley were not, you know, that I didn't get to meet them because they're apparently, you know, Joe Dante was there this time and Linnea's been there a lot. But, but so I know I was pushing for that. I don't remember if we made it to that one. There was much alcohol. So I don't remember. As, as there should be. I yeah. actually, during this conversation, eh, because I've had a very, very rough day with the children and everything, and it's like, I'm going to sit down and talk to a buddy, I'm <laughs> a very giant Cape Cotter, which I just happen to have vodka and cranberry juice around. So there. I fully support that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, no, it, it just sounds like a blast. And, you know, if, if you guys are ever up this way, I, I would love to, you know, I would love to sit down, you know, buy you a drink and talk about movies more. And I would love to have you on again if you ever had anything to pitch or if you just wanted to talk about stuff, just just let me know. I will apps I mean I'm when the world resumes and I had an idea for something maybe that we could do before the world resumes, I will I will definitely be making something else and I will definitely be back on your show if you'll have me. <laughs> awesome dude. No anytime just just reach out because I I love doing this. So again guys this has been Josh Atkinson um, and Chris Chipman, the Chippa, talking about Displaced. Um, it was a film from Salem Horror Fest. I can guarantee that this isn't the last you'll be hearing about this movie. Try to find a way to see it, especially when it gets released all you know digitally or distribution or whatever. I'll be sharing it. But um, look it up. Uh, check it out. It's awesome. It's worth your time. And, uh, dude, again, it's been an honor. Thank you so much. Thank you, Chris. <laughs>